Hello and welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. So straight up, I am not zero waste. I'm not even close. I've always tried really hard to not be a dick to the environment, but zero waste is a bit too intense for me. I first stumbled upon the zero waste movement, I'd say close to six or seven years ago, and I started following all of these zero waste campaigners and I got really into the idea of living in a zero waste home. But then there were some things that just really tripped me up. Like I asked a question on an Instagram live of a very prolific zero waste star about things like cheese, because, you know, we eat a lot of cheese in our house and cheese always comes wrapped in plastic and it's a long life product that often has lots of preservatives in it. And unless you live really close to a cheese maker, there's not really a lot of other options than to just buy supermarket cheese. And her suggestion at the time was to go to a local cheese maker, of which I didn't live near one, and buy a really huge, like couple of kilo block of cheese and then split it with your neighbors, which I think is just such a lovely concept and a really great suggestion, but just impractical for almost everyone that I know. It was impractical for me because I didn't even know my neighbors. I didn't know if they liked the same kind of cheese as me. Uh, There's also barriers like, am I supposed to go around and knock on everyone's doors and ask if they want to split this cheese with me? So things like that have always tripped me up about the low waste movement. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast as someone who is incredibly interested in low waste. I'm also very interested in zero waste. It's just not that practical for people who are busy, who have lives, who live in the modern world, but who also want to make really, really good choices for the environment when they're able to and to take it quite seriously. So for me, my main excuse is time. That's always where I fall flat on the whole low waste to zero waste stuff. I've nailed pretty much everything that doesn't involve time. Reusable water bottle, sorted, Glad wrap, gone. I'm a full-on beeswax wraps girl these days. I've got a car boot full of reusable shopping bags. I don't think I've bought a plastic bag at the supermarket in about five years. I use a menstrual cup and reusable sanitary pads, so my period is now totally waste-free. I've got a metal razor. I no longer buy plastic ones. So those things are all completely sorted. I struggle with a lot of other things though. For example, and this sounds really bananas, but salad leaves are a really big problem for me. As I said before, we live in the country, so a lot of the farm to table stores aren't open when we have time to shop. So I end up grabbing a bag of salad at the local supermarket. And you know what? That's totally fine. It's great to avoid it if you can, but if you can't, there's no reason to flip out. It's okay to be gentle and make changes where you can. I really, really do want to stop buying food in packaging, and that's a work in progress for me. There's no point in beating myself up every time I grab a bag of prepackaged lettuce at the shops when I didn't make it to the farmer's market that week. Another issue I have is alcohol. I'm not a massive drinker, but occasionally I like a glass of wine or a gin and tonic on a Friday night. The problem is, is that I want one glass and I want a whole bottle. So at the moment I buy four packs of wine or cans of alcoholic seltzer. Now that goes against what every low waste expert says. 
I don't know how much information you have been trying to procure from the low waste community, but they really, really don't like individually packaged items. However, in this case, it is actually a better solution because there'd be far more waste if I bought litre bottles of tonic and then threw out the rest of the tonic because I didn't want to drink a whole litre to myself. And the same goes with wine. I don't want to open a whole bottle of wine if I want one glass of wine on a Friday night. And yeah, I don't want to force myself to drink more than I was going to drink. So sometimes it's important to look at the common solution and realize that it might not actually be the best solution for you. On that note, this week's guest is Anita Van Dyke, who is at rocket underscore science on Instagram. And she is the author of this fantastic book called A Zero Waste Life. And it's honestly one of the best low waste books I've ever read. I mean, really, let's be honest here. No one likes to be shamed and made to feel like they're not trying hard enough. And this book is just all about making gentle progress and doing the things that work for you. Just a little warning though, Anita is an actual rocket scientist who ditched rocket science and has now become a doctor. She's also a low waste advocate with two successful books to her name. And she's also lovely. And honestly, I would never indulge in any kind of tall poppy syndrome behavior. I am all about celebrating people doing awesome stuff, but this is just a little tongue in cheek warning. If you're going to find amazing people a little bit triggering today, Anita is quite fantastic. You've been warned. You are a zero waste advocate. And one of the things that drew me into your orbit in the first place was your matter of factness about zero waste. There's a part in your book where you say that you don't have to be a left-wing hippie who doesn't wear deodorant to lead a low waste lifestyle. So it seems to me like you're really focused on making this accessible and mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are so daunted and overwhelmed by the term zero waste that they just don't even start. For me, my definition of zero waste is actually just to leave a gentler footprint on the planet and that's it. So we can all do that. And that's why in my book, I step out in three simple steps on how we can do it. So firstly, to reduce your waste. Reducing your waste means using up what you already have. Don't go out and buy new things. Use it up and then recycle it responsibly. The second step is a low waste option. So this involves things such as using cardboard or aluminium or glass options because these are the materials that can be recycled infinitely without degradation to the quality of the material, unlike plastic, which is downcycled um, and it eventually sits in landfill and releases methane gas. So that's why plastic's so bad. And then the third option is the zero waste option. So that's the plastic free, totally package free option as you can get. So this might involve making your own things or just buying things naked. So naked foods like fresh fruits and vegetables. Do you find that particularly on your Instagram or in any of the other type of online stuff that you do that you come against, come up against any resistance from people around going low waste? Oh, absolutely. I think if you're any kind of advocate or any kind of ism, whether it be veganism, minimalism or zero wasteism, there's always going to be trolls and there's always going to be people, naysayers who say, you can't do that. There's no such thing. And let's be honest, we live in a modern world. No one can live truly zero waste unless you live on a self-sufficient farm out of touch with society. Yeah, let's be honest. So for us, um, living a zero waste life is 
not only just about re- reducing your plastic consumption, but it's also about not wasting your life away. So not wasting your resources such as time, energy, um, relationships, money, things like that as well. So it's that kind of double pun, as you might say, for zero waste that I really like to embrace. And I think people don't get that sometimes. And you do get backlash and you do get naysayers. But I say, stuff the naysayers. You do you, girl. You do what you can do and try your best. And that's all we can hope for. And in my new book, A Zero Waste Family, um, which is the second book after A Zero Waste Life, I actually talk about how sustainability has to be sustainable for you. And I think people forget that, you know, you make these lifestyle changes and you think that you have to do this 180 overnight. But I'm all about small changes make a big cumulative difference. And we can all make small changes in our everyday life. So you did create this amazing system, which I just, I found so helpful because the whole concept of zero waste is so daunting to people who haven't come across it before. And the, so the system is one that you mentioned before. So you sort of have, it's, it's like a light medium and then an extra option for each category of waste. And have you found that, 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 that makes the system a bit less scary for people? Like they've got a a lower option rather than, you know, drinking out of glass jars and that kind of thing. There's, there's different options for people to have. Absolutely. I talk about it in my book, as I said, it's reduce low and then zero, and we can all interchange those options at different stages of our lives. So I'm a mother now, and sometimes I can't do totally zero waste, but I can do a low waste option. Or I can say sometimes, hey, I can't even do a low waste option. I'm just going to try to reduce my waste in ways that I can. And that's okay because we're at all different stages of our lives and we have all different circumstances and we have all different financial capabilities. So for me, it's really more important that we aim for effort rather than perfection. So a little bit of effort, a little bit of change in habits can make a big cumulative difference in the long run. What's been your biggest challenge becoming a parent in low waste? Uh, I think the biggest challenge is um, originally it was nappies, but now I've just used reusable nappies and modern reusable nappies are so handy. All you have to do is choose a Velcro or a button option and wash and rinse. Like it's pretty easy and it's probably easier than going out and trekking and buying your very expensive disposable nappies. Um, So initially it was nappies, but now I'm finding it's not necessarily about the stuff all the, all the issues that are coming into your home about plastic waste. It's more about the mindset. And I think that's the issue when anyone makes a lifestyle change and you need to engage your family. It's about how we change your mindset as a family. And my daughter's only two, so she's, uh, she's slowly understanding what it means to you know, produce waste and things like that. And she sees what other kids have and she wants what the other kids have. So it's about breaking that cycle of keeping up with the Kardashians or you know, keeping up with the Joneses, as you might say in the past that you're going to, that bigger is better and more is more. And I think that's the biggest challenge that parents have to overcome, that we don't have to be like everyone else and that the planet itself deserves a voice and the planet itself doesn't have a voice and doesn't have an advocate. So we are the only advocates we can have for it. And we have to remember planet Earth is the only home we've got. 
as a former rocket scientist, we're not going to Mars anytime soon, okay? Not all of us can get to Mars. <laughs> so we need to really look after the only home we've got, and that is Earth. So is your kid already asking for things that you don't necessarily want her to have? More so the fact that she sees what other kids have, you know, things like Peppa Pig or Wiggle and all the little gadgets and toys that come along with it. And now I just try to educate her and say, hey, we have toys at home. And we talk about, you know, buying secondhand as a really great option. So instead of going out and buying plastic packaged, you know, Wiggles toys or Peppa Pig toys, I think about all the great things such as going to a toy library or going to the library itself to borrow toys. Or if we really want a treat, we can go to the op shop and get something that's already been, you know, created and you're part of the circular economy there. How do you feel about collectibles like those little, I think that it's pronounced Ushis or, and those little Coles shoppables. I know that a, a lot of the listeners of uh, productivity have had problems with kids, particularly, I think they're a little bit older than two. They tend to be maybe year five or six and they want to collect those things and all of their friends are collecting them. And I just know a lot of people have had a lot of trouble having those kind of conversations with their kids. Yeah. I think any kind of conversation where you're breaking away from the norm is difficult to have. So in my book, I talk about having a command station in your home. A command station is a whiteboard or anything that you can have in your home in a central area. And I have a whiteboard on top of my fridge. And on that command station, alongside with groceries and what's in my pantry and things like that to reduce your food waste, I also have a thing called the family rules. And this is a acknowledgement of all the rules that we have in our family that we place as important. So it's important to regularly have these family meetings and update these rules so we can have frank conversations about what it means to be you know, an active citizen, what it means to do something good for the planet, what it means to care about more than these Oshies or these little figurines. And when you engage your children in these conversations and talk about the implications of them, you'll find that they really care. Most care kids really care about the planet and want to do good. And having those family rules and having those regular meetings is a central part of that good communication. I have actually heard stories about kids from uh, low waste families going to school and telling all the other kids how terrible they are for the environment. So I think there's a bit of trickle down education that happens there. But I also say no judgment, you know, teach, don't preach. I think no one wants to be preached at, especially in this day and age. And we're living in a tough world. 2020 has been hard for financially, you know, socially, mentally, physically. So teach, don't preach. That's what I always say. Speaking of 2020 and COVID, has that been a challenge for you in low waste? Has anything come up for you in the middle of a global pandemic? Have you had to increase your waste in any way to deal with it? Well, for me, I haven't had to in a personal sense, but on my day job, I'm also a doctor. So I was a former rocket scientist. I've just finished all my studies and now I'm going to be a doctor. And one of the things that we're seeing an increase of is medical waste because a lot of people are wearing masks. And what I have to say to that is that there is a reason why we have plastic in the first place. Plastic was created because it's a durable material. It's also waterproof and it's also long lasting. And it's those issues that make it really hard to break down in the environment. So I say for that is replace it with a reusable mask. So 
masks are so common, get a reusable mask, you know, that's such an easy switch and save the disposable mask for our health workers who really need it. I absolutely love that tip. I've done a lot of research on low waste and a lot of people try to be quite binary about it and say, well, you absolutely can't ever throw anything away, but there are circumstances under which you do need to actually throw things away. For instance, the one that you just mentioned with with medical staff. And I, I think that's a really good tip for people to take the brunt of what the medical community can't do for themselves. Um, So what for you, what was your very biggest challenge in going zero waste? And is there anything that you are still at the reduced waste level of, or are you pretty hardcore across the board these days? Uh, I'm pretty good. I think the hardest thing out of the whole journey has just been um, mindset. And I say this again, there's this analogy where, you know, um, I think it's a German term and I can't pronounce it, but it's if you own a red car, you see, start seeing more red cars, okay? So if you start seeing waste as a problem, you see waste everywhere. And that has been a huge mindset change for me. And that actually has been a huge issue where you think, oh my goodness, Am I making enough of a difference? But all I can say to that is that small changes can make a big cumulative difference. Just because you think you don't, um, refusing a straw, you, you might think is not a big deal. But what if 8 billion people also refuse straws? You know, it's that cumulative difference that makes a big long-term change in the future. And I think we can see that with all the momentum that has gained with the plastic bag ban and everything else, that we're going from a grassroots bottom-up approach. And finally, there's policies coming down to help us as consumers to make better choices. Do you actually use straws? No, I don't. Yeah, use no. <laughs> Neither. I don't use straws at all. And I th- I'll tell you a simple reason why is because we have a really nifty tool called our mouth. <laughs> Like it was created for a reason. And, you know, there's some people who might need a straw because they want to, you know, don't want to touch their lippy or their young children or they have a disability. And I understand that. And there's circumstances when you need a straw. But I can suggest to use a glass straw or a stainless steel straw. You know, you don't really need a plastic straw that you use for two minutes and then it ends up in landfill for 400 years. I totally agree. When all of the straw hysteria started a couple of years ago and there was all those videos of wildlife, the video with the turtle that had the straw stuck up his nose, it was just the most horrifying thing. I think a lot of Australians, I I don't know if I'm speaking for all Australians, but I just, straws don't seem to be that big a part of our culture. They are obviously if you go to McDonald's and that kind of thing, but I just kind of feel like in the US, they're a much bigger problem. And I think they use more of them. I don't know whether or not I'm making that up, but it just seems like it's more of a cultural thing to use straws in the US. I agree because I, I've lived part-time in San Francisco because my husband works in San Francisco and they are more of a disposable culture in the everyday items like straws, paper napkins even, and things like that. And I think it's because they have a culture of hospitality where they earn their wages through tips. So it's about giving these little extras to the customer so they can feel like they're being served, right? In Australia, we do have less of that culture, but we do have other major issues such as packaging. You know, if you, and you should probably see it in the supermarket where you see things such as, um, you know, avocados packaged in plastic. And you're just thinking, well, mother nature already has created the best packaging for this. You don't need plastic on on, on an avocado 
avocado. And so I think as consumers, we have the power to make these changes by voting with our dollar, by buying the package free goods, by choosing, you know, farmers or farmers markets as a better option, or just going naked and not buying, you know, food with plastic around it. It is so frustrating every time you go in there or when you're in the supermarket and you see someone get three bananas, like a bunch of bananas, and then they put them in one of the single-use plastic bags. It's just frustrating. Just it's so frustrating. Just put it in your trolley. Like, exactly. And, I mean, that's coming from someone I, I'm definitely conscious of my waste, but that's coming from someone who's not kind of a an advocate or a proper branded low-waste person. Even little things like that, you see it and you just think, can you not do that? That'd be great. (laughs) Exactly. And I think common sense and breaking the habits that we've been ingrained and taught for so long is hard. And I think that's what this whole, you know, my whole journey has been to change our habits and make simple eco switches. Hi, it's Carly. I have been doing a do and ask challenge this week that's run by Alexandra Franzen. She's amazing. Google her. And I'm nailing the doing bit, which is where you do nice things for other people, but I am sucking at the asking bit. So this is me doing the asking. Would you mind taking a second to review productivity if you are loving it? Please just go to the show page, not the episode page. You need to click through to the actual show page, scroll down and then leave a review. I know it's a little bit annoying, but it would be such a huge favor. Thank you so much. How long have you been zero waste for? I think I've been about six years and, you know, it's it's ebbs and flows. Sometimes I produce more waste than normal and sometimes I produce less. And it's, it's that kind of, you know, effort over perfection that I'm really embracing at the moment. Yeah, I really like that philosophy because it just makes it so much more accessible to people who might be frightened about it. In your first book, um, you point out that you are the firstborn daughter of Chinese migrant parents. I'm just wondering how you think that has shaped your journey in low waste or if it's shaped any of this kind of philosophy as a grown up. Oh, I think it's been a huge part of my whole journey towards zero waste. Um, I was a migrant, so I lived in China up till the age of four and I came over to Australia when I was four years old. And I've had both ends of the spectrum. So I know what it is like to have nothing absolutely nothing, you know, not even indoor plumbing. And then I know what it's like now in the Western society we have now, which is so abundant and so wealthy that we have everything. So um, these kind of, the journey that I've been through is understanding that happiness isn't based on these superficial notions of success that we in Western society deem as successful. So, you know, the Gucci handbag, the Louis Vuitton, whatever, the Fendi shoes, those things have been attributed to success for so long. However, I know what it's like to have none of those things. And none of those things actually matter at the end of the day, if you want to live a meaningful, happy life. You know, at the end of your life, on your deathbed, no one is going to say, damn, she had nice (laughs) shoes. No one's going to say that. But they're going to say she was a great mother. She was a great friend. She was a great carer. You know, things that really are the most important things in life are actually not to do with the stuff that we accumulate. And that's one of the things I've learned through my journey. It's to consume less, to be more mindful with what we purchase and live minimally and leave a gentler footprint on the planet. 
Uh, I read in your book that you were leading a kind of high-flying corporate lifestyle before you ended up quitting that job. So you have lived a, a life of affluence with, you know, fancy shoes and lots of shopping and that kind of thing. Was it difficult for you to give up, you know, your Louis Vuitton handbags and, you know, your your, your fancy shoes and that kind of stuff and, and scale things back? Oh, look, I was a maximalist in every <laughs> sense of the word. You know, I literally had a spare room in which I, it was just filled with stuff. You know, it was one of those rooms. And I was living a life, climbing this corporate ladder, thinking that I could buy my way to happiness. And so I was climbing the corporate ladder and I had this kind of quarter life crisis where I looked around at my boss, my boss's boss and the big boss and realized, I don't want to be any of them. And if I kept on going down this path where I thought that I could buy my way to happiness, that it, I would never get there and I would never live a truly meaningful life. So I had to, you know, re, it, was a, it was a breakdown in terms of like going back to my roots, going back to frugal living, understanding what it meant to not waste any of my resources. And that's really where my zero waste journey began. I like how circular that is kind of going back to where you started from and realizing just how little you can actually live on and making the conscious choice to, to embrace that. That's something that a lot of the listeners of this podcast have, have struggled a little bit with because, you know, they've, they've dabbled with and continue to dabble in low, in the low waste lifestyle. I think a lot of people, uh, particularly, I think it was like a couple of years ago when the war on waste show came out in Australia, everyone jumped on the bandwagon and everyone freaked out about low waste and started shaming people for getting their takeaway coffee in the, you know, disposable mugs and everyone had to have their own keep cup. And I think a lot of the resolve of some of those people, myself included, I've, I've made a lot of changes that I've stuck with, but I've made a lot of changes that I haven't stuck with. Do you have any tips for sticking to the plans that we make when it comes to low waste and things like, you know, not buying snack foods when we're on the run or, you know, using glad wrap when we're particularly desperate? Look, I think don't judge yourself. I think, you know, there's reasons why you do that because maybe you're in a very stressful part of your life. And it goes back to the philosophy of teaching and not preaching and not sitting on a high horse just because you live a low waste life. <laughs> you know, it's, but it's, it's being gentle because when you're gentle and make these gentle changes, I call it gentle activism. You, you can make it sustainable. Sustainability has to be sustainable for you, right? So Gentle activism is about saying, hey, in this stage of my life, I'm going to do this and be able to do that. And sometimes there's going to be stressful moments where I can't. And it's about picking yourself up and thinking, how can I reassess? So what can I make my life easier? I call it being a zero waste engineer. So engineer your life so that you can have a problem, understand the issues, understand the cost benefit analysis associated with it and recoup your losses and go back and try again. So let's just say for your keep cup example, let's just say you keep forgetting your keep cup, you keep forgetting your keep cup and you're chastising yourself. No point in chastising yourself. Just put a reminder on your doorknob, a little post-it note saying before you go out, don't forget your keep cup or leave a spare one in your office drawer or in your car. So you always have one there. Like you just make it easier for yourself so that you can achieve these goals and not chastise yourself about it. 
do you find in the low in the low waste community that sometimes there's other rhetoric happening that's not so gentle and you kind of feel like you're having a bit of an eye roll about it kind of like oh come on guys you know maybe be a little bit more inviting with it yeah absolutely I think anything that's an ism <laughs> minimalism <laughs> veganism you can tend to sit on this high horse and judge other people and all I can say is that it doesn't really welcome people into the movement if you're going to do that so be kind we're all going through stuff and I mentioned to you before I've just recently had surgery there's a lot of waste associated with surgery but hey I'm going to be kind towards myself because you know what? My health is important as well. And you never know what people are going through behind closed doors. So who are we to judge? I think the best way is to be positive, encouraging, and make it sexy, like make it glamorous <laughs> to be eco-chic, living a luxurious life with, you know, just simple switches. I think when you're living your best life, people are going to be like, mm, I want some of that. <laughs> I love that. I totally think that when I look at your Instagram, because everything's just so clean and chic and lovely and I, I, you do are definitely making it sexy. So oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there is a fantastic bit in your book actually, where you outline how to map out your time and figure out how many lost hours you're forfeiting each year, which I, I absolutely loved. Can you give our listeners a rundown on how and why we should figure out what our lost hours are and how we can recoup them? Yeah. So my lost hours is I want you to sit down and just write down Monday to Friday and put in blocks of time of where, what you're doing. And actually when you're doing it, write it down and you'll be surprised by how much hours of the day you're actually spending watching cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> like, and even all simple ways to even just go through your screen um, statistics on your phone. And have a look at how many hours of the day you're mindlessly scrolling. And I really want to encourage people to stop consuming passively and start creating actively because all those lost hours you're spent looking at cat videos, watching reality TV or doing something mindless, you can actually be doing something to fulfill your dreams, whether it be writing that book that you've always wanted to do, painting that painting that you've always wanted to do, learning, learning a new language, or even simply just enjoying time outdoors or being with your family. I mean, how many times have we said, I don't have time to exercise? Well, if you look at your screenshot and your statistical analysis there, you've got plenty of time. Everyone can do a 15 minute workout because you know what? You're probably spending on average three to six hours on your screen. That's how much a day. That's how, that's the average Australians that spend our time on their screen, three to six hours. So if we take that time back and empower ourselves to use it to something more meaningful, I mean, we can change the freaking world. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And that statistic that you said it's three to six hours that people spend on a screen, I think I've read the same one and that's just your phone. Yes. That doesn't include your computer and how often you've checked Facebook on your computer or YouTube, that's not your work hours. That's outside of like what you actually are holding in your hand, which is absolutely horrifying. Uh, I'll um, put some notes in the show notes on how you can check your screen time on your phone for those people that are interested, but just, yeah, be warned. It's often quite horrifying. It's horrifying, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> On top of everything else, you are or were an actual rocket scientist. I don't think you ever were a rocket scientist. You still continue, like once you've 
qualified to do that, that's still what you are, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And I, I graduated with a Bachelor of Aeronautical Space Engineering, so literally a rocket scientist. I did aircraft and rockets and I did that for seven years. But mainly I did I climbed up the corporate ladder, so I was, um, did corporate engineering for a long time. But now I'm also just graduated and I'm going to be a doctor. So, yeah. Congratulations. That's just unbelievably impressive. Do you have any focus or studying tips that you can share with our listeners because you've done arguably two of the hardest degrees ever and are clearly very good at studying and getting stuff done. So if you've got any amazing studying tips for our listeners, they would love that. Yeah, I think it's a, it's all about that it's a marathon, not a, you know, a hundred meter dash. So for me, consistency is the key and blocking out periods of time to study effectively. So when we talk about studying, often many of us have like YouTube playing in the background and then we do a couple of questions and then maybe we go have a couple of tea and then three hours have gone and you've really only read maybe two pages out of the textbook that you need to do. For me, studying has to be effective and efficient. So I literally block out periods of time, much like you do for a meeting. So I would say I'm going to do an hour and I'm going to block out that period of time, turn off all my devices, focus on the textbook or the computer screen at hand, leave everything else in another room and I do the hardcore studying. And you find that when you're doing efficient studying, really hardcore studying, what people call deep work, it actually is more effective. And you're, and then you can spend the rest of the day doing what you need to do. Have you found that your time management has changed much with having a child? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, all the <laughs> idealized notions of, you know, um, having long periods of time where you can enjoy yourself and, uh, you know, have time for yourself is long gone because from the time I wake up, she, she wakes up six o'clock right through to when she goes to bed at night. It's go, 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 go. So I work around that. So once again, it's blocking periods before she wakes up. So often I'll wake up at five o'clock. Oh, so early. I know know it's so early, but, you know, if it needs to be done or after when she goes to bed. So she sleeps at seven. So I've got hours there as well. And and I block out periods of time then where I can actually study or do things or do work and things like that as well. And I think the key is once again, consistency. So you don't, you're not going to be able to do an all-nighter all the time. No one's particularly with a little one. No. And also it's not good for your health in the long run. So for me, it's just about an hour here, an hour there and doing it consistently. This is a very, very random question, but how do you feel when people go, Oh, it's not rocket science. (laughs) Well, now I can say, well, it's not rocket science or brain surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Are you studying to be a surgeon? No, I'm not going to be studying to be a surgeon, but like, you know, I'm still a doctor. So I do know the mechanics of the brain (laughs) as much as I, as much as we can know. But, um, I just think, yeah, I always say, I can actually say it ain't rocket science because (laughs) I've studied it and <laughs> bloody hell, it was hard. That was the hardest degree I've ever done. Harder than even medicine. So. Seriously, because I, I would not have known. So what what makes rocket science harder than medicine? It's, oh, it's physics. It's physics and a lot of coding, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, science. It's a lot of, it's a lot of everything. And conceptually, you're literally sending someone to the moon or Mars and back. You have to understand the forces of gravity and, and physics and it's hard. It's not easy. No, it doesn't sound easy at all. No. Another question that's come up a few times with the listeners of this podcast is 
the concept of doing a degree and then not using that degree anymore and going in a different direction and getting a different degree. How do you feel about having a degree like a, a degree? That's not a degree in rocket science, is it? What, what did you Aerospace say? It was? Engineering. Aerospace engineering and having such an amazingly valuable degree that you're technically no longer using. Well, I think it's all about the journey and the skills that you gain along the way. Steve Jobs said it the best where you cannot know what your life will be like until you stand back and join the dots afterwards, right? So the journey that I've been on where I've done engineering and now medicine, written a book, being a mother, all these dots are connecting to me to be the person that I'm going to be in the future. And I can't, I don't even know what that is. I don't know how this is all coming together, but I do know that my engineering brain has created all these great hacks for my Instagram and my books, right? It's actually reverse engineering the problem and making it, finding a solution. That's what engineering is, finding a solution to a problem. Now being a doctor is actually the same thing, finding a solution to the human body's problems. So I can't, I can't ever say that I'm not using my degree because I do use it every single day. Even though I'm not directly building rockets or anything like that, I still use my degree. And I think Steve Jobs really had it right. You know, he talked about dropping out of university and studying calligraphy for a bit. <laughs> You know, and and now, and he's created one of the most aesthetically pleasing brands in the world. And he could have only done that having understood calligraphy and the minimalism and the simplicity that's accumulated from that. That's great. I think we have, yeah, I've had quite a few listeners, particularly ones that have done law degrees because often people who are very smart, who aren't exactly sure what they want to do with their lives, do a default law degree because it is kind of the first stepping stone in a lot of really, you know, kind of enviable and high powered careers. And so we've, we've had particularly a lot of people right into the podcast saying, you know, I've got a law degree that I'm not using. Is this bad? So it's, it's wonderful to have that kind of backup from someone who's also technically not using a very valuable degree, but using it every day, which is just that that's a really inspiring thing for, for people to, to know about. Can you please share with us your three absolutely essential productivity tips? Okay. Um, first one is create a tech bed. A tech bed is a bowl or a box or a drawer, whatever you have, where you put your gadgets and you let them sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's why it's called a tech bed, because we all need a rest from our devices. When you're having people call you, notifications ping at you, or, you know, just easy distractions at at the, you know, right in front of your hand, you you can't be productive. So have a tech bed and put your devices in that tech bed when you're doing productive work. Secondly, make time to head outdoors. So heading outdoors when you're, you know, forest bathing, you know, as the Japanese call it, or just getting outside and seeing some greenery, getting your feet wet and feeling the ocean will increase your productivity a hundredfold because you're connecting with what I call a green prescription. You know, it's giving you the dose of vitamins that you need for the day. It's giving you the sunlight that you need for the day. And all that will make you sleep better and also more productive in the long run. So that's my second tip, head outdoors. And my third tip is to minimize. So minimize your environment. 
declutter your environment. When you're surrounded with excess, your external environment is actually a reflection of your internal environment. So get rid of the, you know, the piles of papers that you never use. Get rid of the excess books that you've never read. Get rid of and donated the clothing that you, you never wear and make your space as clean and clear as possible so that you can actually do the meaningful work that you need to do. Those tips are fantastic. I promise that I will write all of those down so that people can access them in written form after they've heard it on the podcast. One final question. So you are a very driven, very science-based, very focused person. What do you do for fun? Do you watch any reality TV or read trashy romance novels or anything like that? What I do for fun, I like to hike for fun. So I love hiking and getting outdoors and I do watch trashy TV, like, but you know, I, we all do just for a little bit of escapism. Like I really love golden girls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a bit of classic golden girls and I love Schitt's Creek. I love, oh, I love Schitt's Creek. Yeah. It's so clever. And there's so many, you know, what did I watch the other day? Holiday. <laughs> How was that? I, I heard that. Oh, but it was- I heard mixed reviews about it. No, actually they weren't mixed. Everyone said it was terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. But, you know, sometimes we need a bit of escapism. And I'm not saying that we don't have any screen time or, you know, we live in a modern world. Of course, we want a little bit of escapism sometimes. COVID's here, like 2020 was hard. Um, but I, all I can say is don't spend your whole life escaping from your life. So, you know, do what you need to do. And, you know, a couple of hours here and there is not going to kill you. We all need to rest and relax and have a laugh. But just don't spend six hours of your day looking at a screen. Go, Go out and, you know hike <laughs> go out and read go out and write the manuscript that you've always been wanting to write do something with your life that's not just based on passive consumption so that was my chat with anita van dyke my favorite part of her philosophy is to go gently and do the things that matter to you for example it was really important for me to go low waste with my period for a variety of reasons uh period products are really very wasteful the disposable ones Uh, of course there are some people who have no choice but to use the disposable ones for a variety of reasons i have the choice to not use those products so i like to look at that as taking one for the team i'm certainly not going to yell at people and make sure that that's the thing that they have to do. But that was important to me. And, you know, also to take one for the team, for the people who reusables um, are not uh, an option for them. I know that when I've spoken about using a menstrual cup in the past, there are people with disabilities that are unable to use them because, you know, they're a little bit complicated. And if people have, you know, some sort of um, disability with their hands or their bodies, and they can't kind of bend in the correct way to use them, that's completely fair enough. So that's something that I can do to lessen the environmental load for the people who do need to use those products. Um, Another reason why I decided to go waste free with my period was because I wanted to avoid the tampon tax because I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. It has since been abolished, which is fantastic. But that was my weird little political thing where I refused to pay tax on a product that was a necessity and was unfairly targeted at women. It was abolished in 2019, but I continue to have waste free periods. So I try 
tried out a few different menstrual cups and recently I've settled on the classic Diva Cup. That's one of the original menstrual cup brands and it is so fantastic. I had a collapsible one I used for years that was called a Lily Cup and it was a um, a Kickstarter. So it came in a little compact, which I loved because I didn't like the idea of storing it in a cloth bag. I don't actually know why because it seems like that's a very common thing, but for some reason in my head, I just didn't like the idea of a menstrual product being kept in a cloth bag. I'm sure it's fine. I just like to make up weird germy things every now and then to make my life a bit more difficult. Anyway, so I liked the collapsible one because it came in a little plastic compact and I used that one for years and it was great for travel, but I did find that after I gave birth, it wasn't as effective. I will still continue to use my existing Lily Cup for travel, but for everyday use, I much prefer the Diva Cup. I also use a combination of a menstrual cup and reusable pads. So I use Hannah pads on heavy days or when I'm at the end of my period. I do apologize for the swift segue into talking about my lady parts, but the reason I'm telling you this is that it took years and lots of trial and error before I was totally waste free with my period. So that's just a little lesson to let you know that you don't have to get it right straight away. You don't have to get it right ever, but if there's something that's important to you to go low waste or waste free with, keep trying and and you will get there eventually and give yourself time because reducing your impact on the environment is a process and you have to find the things that work for you, particularly with things like period. There's a lot of consequences if you get your period hygiene and management wrong. So cut yourself some slack and do what it is that you need to do for you. Here are just a few tiny ideas to get you started and they're just little tiny things that won't affect you too much. For example, you should hopefully be trying to stop using produce bags at the supermarket. As I mentioned to Anita earlier in the episode that most produce doesn't need to be put in a bag. So things like bananas and oranges and mandarins, anything with a removable peel doesn't need to be put in a bag. Just chuck five of them or however many you buy into your basket and pop them straight through the register because you'll be peeling the peel off anyway. Things like apples, I still don't use produce bags for them. I just wash them when I get home or I pop them in a reusable mesh bag. I also try to BYO everything, bags, cutlery, cups. That has been a little bit difficult in the last year with COVID as a lot of cafes weren't accepting reusable cups because they didn't want to touch them because they were, you know, a personal product and might put a cafe worker at risk, which is perfectly fine. A lot of our cafes are slowly accepting them again. We keep them just in case if a cafe doesn't accept it, we just get a regular takeaway coffee cup and recycle what we can from it and move on. We also have stopped buying rubber bands. We just save the ones that come wrapped around fresh produce. So yeah, we haven't bought rubber bands in a couple of years. We also no longer use coffee pods. Uh, We use either a French press or some sort of a percolated drip coffee situation. I wish I could give you more information about that, but I'm not the coffee person in the house. I will ask Ben to put together a list of low waste coffee options for people because we don't use pods. I don't make the coffee in our house, but I know that our coffee is waste-free and I will definitely get more information about that for you. 
We also continually say no to free promotional stuff unless you're actually going to use it. Don't accept the free backpack that you got from your gym when you signed up or if you go to some sort of an event, if you're even going to events at the moment, don't take all the stuff that comes with it. I remember when I first started going low waste and trying to minimize how much stuff I had in my life, I would always return the lanyards from any speaking events that I went to or conferences or anything. And you could see people being like, oh no, no, you don't have to give that back to me. But for me, it's sending a message that, well, you created this thing. It's not my responsibility to get rid of it. So I'm just going to give it back to you. That's how I feel about when people give me things that I think are unnecessary. I just give them back and let them deal with it. And that's a really good way of sending a message because if you're the one that is creating the stuff, you also have the responsibility of disposing or rehoming that stuff. On that note, try to buy once and buy well. So we always do a lot of research. It's kind of what we're known for. Always making sure that we're buying high quality vacuum cleaners, ones that have really good return policies, ones that have really good uh, maintenance policies, all that kind of stuff. Always look into things like that. There's a lot of luggage companies that have really fantastic warranties on their stuff. They'll replace zippers, whatever it is that you're going to buy, try and look into the most environmentally friendly option around. For example, this is another one that I'm just about to get into, but as a company, Ikea are actually a really great place to buy from. So they've recently gone into rechargeable batteries. We've got the whole Ikea collection and we only use rechargeable batteries now. And it's really fantastic because they're readily available. They tend to stick to the same design and don't try to change it up every couple of years to make you replace everything. And Ikea furniture, even though it's not technically built to last, you can always order bits and parts. And a lot of people have Ikea furniture, so you can grab bits and pieces from anything that might break or that might need fixing. I'm not saying Ikea is a remarkably environmentally friendly company. Just in our personal experience, buying things from Ikea has worked very well for us because we've been able to repair, mend things, get parts for things. And even if you just commit to a particular item at Ikea, like a couch, you can buy one of their classic designs that they've been making for 20 years and you can have a two-seater couch and then maybe if you get a housemate you can add another bit to the couch and then maybe you might move out and have kids you can add more to the couch and that is one couch that you are adding more bits and pieces to rather than buying five different couches to suit your needs things are interchangeable and modifiable when you buy it from places like Ikea. That's kind of our reckoning with it anyway. So just something to think about in terms of that. And in the interest of full transparency, here are a few things that I'm struggling with that I am currently working on. Just so you know that it's a work in progress for everyone and everyone has things that they're working on. And I don't want anyone to ever look at something that someone else is doing or something that I'm doing and think, oh, you know, that person is, you know, really winning at this thing. It's all a process and we're all trying to figure out what we're doing. And, you know, I'm really proud of my waste-free period um, because I worked really hard to get to that point. 
And there might be someone who's halfway through their journey who's like, oh, I just don't think I'm ever going to get there. But you will get there if you keep trying. And you know what? Also, if you don't get there, that's fine too, because there are a lot of things that I've tried to go completely low waste or waste free on that I just couldn't do. And this is the list of those things. So first of all, I tried to go waste free with my hair, but shampoo bars are not my friend. I went to a hairdresser in Canberra recently who is fantastic with curly hair and he's a dry cutter and I love him and I'm never going to let anyone else touch my hair ever again. And he schooled me on uh, shampoo bars and said they're not good for people with curly hair. I'm sure there are some people that have had success with them. He was like, your hair's really dry. Stop doing that. So shampoo bars are not working for me. I have found a low waste concentrate bar for body lotion that I love. So that's a start. I don't have to buy tubes of body lotion anymore, but I need to stick to my regular hair products for now. I have also found a brand called Besame. I will link to to all of these brands in the show notes. That does a mascara in a tin. So I'm going to give that a try. It hasn't arrived yet, but I'll let you know how it goes. If you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I've been trying to ditch plastic mascara tubes forever, but um, I haven't actually found a low waist mascara that actually stays on my face, but I've heard fantastic things about Besame. And it's one of those really lovely old fashioned kind of brands that does, you know, vintage style, beautifully packaged makeup. So I'm going to give them a try. I would really love to ditch my plastic mascara tubes uh, and I'll let you know how I go with that. Um, Another thing I've been trying to get better at is like taking down how many skincare routine things I use, but I use like retinol and I use cleansers and I use all that kind of stuff. And they all come in plastic tubes. And it's just so okay to have one or two low waste products and the rest of them aren't. It's not all or nothing. Just because I have low waste mascara doesn't mean I'm not allowed to buy this particular cream that has retinol in it that makes my skin look really great. You can have both and that's totally fine if that's what works for you. That's what works for me. We also used and continue to use disposable nappies for our kid. I really, really don't love that, but we both work full time. We don't have a dryer where we live. It's both really cold and really humid. If you can believe it, it's quite strange and nothing dries very fast here. It can take like four days for a pair of sheets to dry. And we meant to switch to reusables once we, you know, got used to the whole parenting thing, but you know, she's almost done in nappies now and we didn't want to invest when the journey was almost over. So look, it's not ideal, but it's also not the end of the world. We had reasons why we didn't go down that path and we stick to them. Another thing is that we have a septic water system and after a lot of trial and error, really, really gross trial and error, the only toilet paper that doesn't clog it is this really basic, not particularly environment, environmentally friendly stuff. And we can't really do much about that. We love um, who gives a crap toilet paper. I love the philosophy. I love the fact that it just arrives on your doorstep. I love the fact that I signed up for a prescription right before toilet paper gate in 2020. And this magical box of toilet paper arrived on my doorstep right when you couldn't get any. All of that's fantastic. It just clogged up our system. So we can't use it. There's not really much we can do about that. So we just kind of get over it and move on. 
So this episode is mainly about empowering you to make good environmental choices when you can and to not beat yourself up when you can't or simply don't have the brain space to prioritize good choices. Do the best you can, try to be very strict about it, but when you can't, don't sweat it. And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. And I love, love, love hearing from listeners. So please, please send me an email. I love it. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. And one more thing, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but please leave a rating and a review. It's truly the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.